0: i a story of the Raghachev Gaon, who's called the Raghachev Gaon because he came from the town of Raghachev and Gaon is like a term for a genius. He's was, he was probably like at least five Einsteins, and I'm not kidding. So, um, my son told me that his teacher quoted in the name of the Raghachev Gaon that the first time you learn is just creating the pathways for the other times you learn. And if you think you're going to get it the first time and you're just going to learn it one time, it's called Betel Torah. You're wasting time from learning Torah. <laughs> So the first time is never really enough. It's just you're getting your you're making the pathways that you understand it the second time or the third time. In fact, I was reading a passage of the Talmud yesterday and it was explaining uh, the correct way of understanding something and it said if you read it the first time, read it again. And if you read it a second time, read it a third time. And if you read it the third time and you didn't understand it, it means no one ever explained it to you properly. But what I did gather from that, hi, Ida! What I did gather from that is, you read it a first time, you read it a second time, and you read it a third time if you, to make sure you understand something. There's no such thing as I read it once and now I have it in my back pocket. It never happens that way, no matter how smart you are. So last chapter. Oh, absolutely, I'm sorry. Last chapter, we started um, analyzing the anatomy of the divine soul, the Jewish soul. And we ended off last chapter saying that even the sinners of Israel, the most irreverent ones, would be giving up their life so as not to part ways from Hashem. And this phrase, the sinners of Israel, it kind of, you know, makes you shudder a little bit. What kind of terminology is that? Now, the Talmud says, well, I'll tell a story. There is this uh, student of a neighboring Hasidic community, not Chabad, close to Chabad, and he came to ask the Rebbe advice on personal problems. And after he finished asking his questions, he said, now I have a question to ask you in my learning. The Talmud says that even the sinners of Israel are full of of good deeds, as a pomegranate is full of seeds. And he asked the Rebbe, he said, I don't understand. How is it that the sinners of Israel are full of good deeds, like a pomegranate seed? like like a pomegranate is full of seeds and the Rebbe closed his eyes and tears start to come from his eyes and he said I have a question on that very same passage of Talmud what my question is I don't understand if they are so full of good deeds like a pomegranate is full of seeds why are they still called the sinners of Israel it's the same passage but it's the way you read it so here we're saying sinners of Israel but we're using the sinners of Israel to prove the greatness of the Jewish people to prove the greatness of the Jewish people from out moshe or from great leaders throughout the generation okay there's great people but to say that Jewish people is great based on the sinners the <laughs> that even the sinners of Israel give up their life not to be parted from the one god and this is without any preparation at all they they have, either they weren't raised Jewish they even the little that, that they know about Hashem, they never spend time meditating. They spent their whole life sinning, and then it comes to a moment of truth. And without any logical reckoning, they are just giving their life away. And this this thing, like, I am a Jew, is so deeply ingrained in every Jewish person, no matter what their upbringing. I have this great book. I have this great book uh, A different... Um, like sketches of interesting Jewish personalities in the last century. And one of the sketches that they do is on Mendel Bayliss. I don't know how many people have ever heard of Mendel Bayliss. Mendel Bayliss, in 1913, this was the last, his. well, this was the, a blood libel. In 1913, there was a blood libel. They were accusing Mendel Bayliss of slaughtering a Christian child in order to make matzah. This was like... Uh, Israel? Israel, yeah. This no, this was in this was in Europe, and um, so they they made this case in 1913, and he was a man who was born to a Hasidic family, but under the Tsar's uh, laws, he was drafted into the army at a young age. So he never had any formal Jewish education. He didn't keep Shabbat. He had very little knowledge of his Jewish background, and here he was on trial as if. You know this terrible accusation, and in his autobiography, he writes how they were questioning him. And he said, "What's your name?" And he said, "Menachem Mendel Tevye Baylis. How old are you? Thirty-nine. How many children do you have? Five. You know, where's your permanent town of residence? Kiev. And then he said, oh, and he said, um, "Are are you a Jew?" And he said, "Yes, I am a Jew." And he writes in his uh, his autobiography these last words: "Yes, I am a Jew." It came out in a shell. I don't know where that came from. At that time, I didn't recognize my own voice. If there was something super, this is a man with no education, just a, sum, a simple person, a very good person, but led a, a simple life, no observance, he had no education, but somehow there was something beyond him within him, deep within him, that he himself didn't recognize, screaming, I am a Jew. And like those were some of the final words of Daniel Pearl, the American journalist who was murdered, and he said, my mother is Jewish, my father is Jewish, I am a Jew. This is just the essence of the Jewish person screaming out. So. What we're trying to do over here is tap into this type of love that's accessible to all of us. Because as we mentioned earlier, uh, the first type of love is one that we generate by meditation of Hashem. And some of us don't have the proper emotional or mental capacity to reach that level of love. Here we're tapping into a level of love that's equal to all of us, no matter how righteous, no matter how wicked, we all have this essential love. And the Altar Rebbe told us that in order to access this love, we're going to have to understand some things about it. So there were four things we wanted to understand. Anybody want to volunteer, if you remember what those four things were, or one of those four things? Okay, we wanted to know uh, what the source of this love was, which level of the soul it came from. We wanted to know how it came to us as an inheritance of our forefathers. We wanted to know what was the unique character or property of this love, what it was striving to attain, and we wanted to know how is fear also included in it. So last chapter, we we touched two of these topics. We visited how it was an inheritance to us, from our forefathers and that was through them becoming a chariot and going through an utter transformation so that then their children after them have this unique divine soul and um, we also talked about the source of this the origin of this love it wasn't from Bina Bina is our power our soul power of meditation where we understand something very well and we meditate so that it changes our emotions That's the other kind of love. But this love is sourced in the power of Chachma. And now we're going to visit what is the unique property of this love? What does this love seek to gain? Because generally, this is like a, a Kabbalistic principle about most loves, that all love returns to the lover. Every love is ultimately about you. You love something, you love somebody, there's something about it that gives you pleasure. But this love is unique, and totally breaks all laws of anything else. And we're going to talk about that right now. Okay. We're going to start straight from the Hebrew words. <speaking in> Hebrew> oh, I'm sorry. masha kasov Hashem nishmas adam. To further elucidate the nature of this hidden love, it is necessary to clarify the meaning of the verse, the soul, neshama, of man is a candle of God. This is from Proverbs, from Mishlei. Shlomo HaMelech writes, the, the, the soul of man is a candle of God, the commentaries explain that this to mean that just like a candle is used for searching, you can't find something and you look for the light of a candle, so too the soul answers about a person on the day of judgment, it gives clarity to what they did all their life, and it announces to Hashem, everything testifies, everything the person did, that's on a simple level but now we're looking at it at a deeper level on a kabbalistic level And what does it mean the altar is going to explain what does it mean that the soul of man is a candle of God Perush adam nishmasam hi lemashel keor haner this means that the souls of Jews who are called man as our sages remark you the Jewish people are called man are by way of illustration like the flame of a candle whenever there's the term Adam it refers to the Jewish people the Navi says, "Vaatem tsayni tsain marisi adam atem," and you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture. You are adam; you are called man. And our our sages explain that specifically, the term adam refers to the Jewish people. Actually, this this uh, saying that you are called man was brought up too in this case, Mendel Bela's case, when they were trying to accuse him. They said. You guys don't consider non-Jewish people as being people. You con- that's why it says only you are called man. First of all, that's not true. When it says ha-adam, the man, that also includes non-Jewish people. It's specifically the term adam that refers only to Jewish people. Um, but there was a, a rabbi who was the lawyer. Hi, Zizi. A rabbi who was the lawyer on the case and he, he um, came up with something to explain. And he said, the term Adam is a very unique term because there's no plural in the form, term Adam. The term Adam is only one form and that is singular. And that's because the Jewish people, he, he tells a story, hi, quoting from the Tice uh, a story about King Shlomo, that a man came to him requesting a double inheritance from his father's inheritance. Now why was he requesting a double inheritance? This is kind of uh, creepy, but he had two heads. He was a double-headed man, uh, somebody in the times of King Solomon, mm-hmm. double-headed man. And his father passed away, and he said he gets two two portions. He has two heads. Oh. <laughs> so King Shlomo said, OK, no problem. What we're going to do is we're going to blindfold one head. We're going to pour hot water on the other head. And if both heads scream, you're only one person. And that's what they did, and both heads screamed. He said, sorry, only one inheritance for you. Both heads are screaming, it means you feel the pain. And so he said, look, Jewish people are are so connected that we're so responsible for each other. You're calling this guy Mendel Baylis to court because of something that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said in the Talmud. What does he have to do with what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said that the Jewish people are called man? It's just the point is that when we're all connected. So the term Adam is because Jewish people essentially just form one entity. So that's why the term Adam, this is his interpretation of why the term Adam refers specifically to the Jewish people. So in, at any rate, it says the soul of man is the candle of God and it means the Jewish soul. Now what is it about the Jewish soul? Shemisnanea tamid l'mayla Bativai, whose nature it is always to flicker upwards. Ever notice a candle? It's so strange. It's always flickering upwards. You hold a a candle upside down, it's still flickering upwards. What is it about the candle? For the flame of the fire intrinsically seeks to part from the wick that holds it and to unite with its source above in the universal element of fire, which is in the sublunar sphere as explained in Eitz Time. So the four elements, earth, water, air, and fire, are so positioned that the higher and more ethereal elements surround and encompass the lower coarser elements. Earth is the coarsest of the elements, it is therefore physically the lowest. Water, the next highest element, should by right be surrounded and be located above the earth. It's only because of Hashem's kindness that the earth is above the waters. As it is written, he spreads the earth over the waters for his kindness is overlasting. So really it should be earth and then the water should be above the earth but because we would not be able to exist that way, Hashem, through His kindness, let the water be below the earth. The element of air is higher than water and therefore surrounds it, and fire, the highest element, surrounds the entire atmosphere and is found in the sublunar sphere. The flame's constant drying upwards thus represents its desire to unite with its source. So this candle, the flame of the candle, is reaching upwards. Where does it want to go? It wants to go to its source in the universal element of fire. Now, fire as we know it down here does not rep- does not resemble at all its universal source. The universal element of fire is actually explained in Kabbalah to be a dark element. As fire takes form down here, it takes the shape of a flame. And in this flame, it just tries to escape always from the wick, and try to reach upwards. And Rabbi Steinsdals gives an example that you could see not just, you know, the fire reaching to outer space, as it were, but even if you have a very large, like a bonfire, and you have a small candle next to it, the small fire will lean towards the bonfire. It will try to escape and become part of the larger fire. So the darkness of the universe is fire? No, but the, there's, there's many things. All, all of these elements, the universal element is all there. Uh, like the universal element of fire, the universal element of water is all yeah, there then. in that same, you know, one above the other in a sphere. But when you think of fire, you would think the universal element of fire is something that's a very, very bright fire, but it's not. It's something that's actually darkness, but this is the source of the fire and the flame of the fire is trying to escape and become one with its source. Now this so is very strange The, fire is darkness. By darkness, the is source that of negative darkness that we're talking about, or No we're, we're just the classifying lack the lack of light. We're just classifying because so if you're going to use your imagination and think the source of fire, maybe it's the sun. <laughs> No. We're going to say, no, it's not something that you can see as like, wow, this is a little fire. And that's a very great fire. Because in fact, even fire down here is not the pure form of fire. Everything in creation is made up of all four elements. So even the fire on a on flame has some, to some degree also water, air, and earth in it. It's just that the prominent element in a flame that, as we know it in our world is fire. And what is it doing? It's constantly flickering upward. It wants to escape. Okay. So the source, I'm sorry, you said the source is darkness? The source, so the source of fire is not darkness, but the source of fire is a dark element, meaning darkness is not the source of fire. But if you want to, to somehow imagine the universal element of fire, know that it's not a fire. It's, some, it's a dark essence, that's what it is, it's called because a dark essence. It doesn't have the, it's not the fire that we can see in our eyes, but not that all darkness is the universal element of fire. Like charcoal. Like, like? Charts? How do you call it? Charcoal? Oh, charcoal. charcoal. Exactly charcoal. that. That's two also, by the way. The flame, when they escape, it just, right. as if heavenwards. Where's it going? It's trying to escape to its source. Now, this is very uh, strange. What's going on over here? But I'll just, if you don't mind, I don't think to interrupt, but yes, yeah. my... I wanted to dedicate this class as well, just as well as your dear brother, Tzema Yeshua. I want to dedicate as well to my grandfather who's your side is tomorrow night. Oh. Wow. Oh, Tzuba Av. Mordechai Ben Menachem. Mordechai Ben Menachem, his okay. Neshama <laughs> should have an Aliyah. And Tzema Yeshua Ben Baruch Shlomo Eliyahu, his Neshama yeah. should um, have an Aliyah. Amen. And Batya, Batvar Darina, she passed away a few hours ago. Batya Basvar Darina, her Neshama should have an Aliyah. Uh, my husband's assistant. She was Jewish and didn't have didn't have much family. Um, Barbara Nadel. Barbara Nadel. I don't know her full name. Okay, okay. and her neshama Wow, wow. wow. Okay, yeah, yeah it is a, a special special yeah. day. But Okay, this is a very strange thing. What's going on? Although thereby, by parting from the wick and becoming part of its source, it would be extinguished and would emit no light at here at all below. Also above in its source, its identity would be lost within that of its source, meaning it would cease to be a luminary. For since a candle is ineffective in illuminating its environment when surrounded by an overwhelmingly greater brilliance of daylight, surely within the element of fire itself its identity is completely nullified. The flame striving to unite with its source cannot therefore be construed as seeking a higher form of existence. Furthermore, this desire for unification with its source, which can be achieved only through self-annihilation, defies the axiom that everything, every existing being desires its continued existence. Logically then, the flame ought not to draw upwards to its source. It's going to lose its identity. It's not like the fire down here, then it escaped to a source and now it's going to be something greater and better. No. It's going to cease to have its own identity. It's going to be nothing. It doesn't make any sense. Normally, everything tries to maintain its own existence. That's part of nature. Everything tries to continue to exist. And fire, the flame, defies this. It does not try to continue to exist. It tries to self-annihilate. Constantly, it's trying to lose its own existence. The But kach hu chafets Yet this is what it desires by nature, meaning it constantly strains upwards as though it were its conscious desire. Okay, we're gonna um, visit the term teva. Okay, soon just as the candle constantly seeks to reunite with its source so also the neshama of a Jew and also the levels of ruach and nefesh because within the body we have have five levels of soul nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaya and yachida chaya and yachida are super conscious but three of these levels, nefesh, ruach and neshama are, are invested within our body neshama is the highest level so it's not just the highest level of our soul that seeks this it's even nefesh and ruach the lower levels of our soul that seek this to, to, to leap out although the verse states that the neshama of the man is the candle of God This comparison is not limited to one with whom the higher level soul level of neshama is actively revealed. The word neshama is used here in the broader sense of soul, which includes also the levels of ruach and nefesh. Thus the analogy of the candle extends also to those within whom the lower soul level of ruach or nefesh is revealed. So it's not, some people, a tzaddik lives with the the level of neshama. He has a deep awareness of Hashem. Although we all have the level of neshama within us, most of us don't live with that. Neshama lives with, is the higher awareness Um, uh, Ruach is the emotional attachment and nefesh is physical action. So a person who does not reach the emotional attachment doesn't feel the level of Ruach within them. A person who doesn't have this higher realization or awareness, doesn't feel the level of Neshama within them. And yet, even a person who doesn't live with these higher levels of soul that are within him, even him, his soul has this desire. The soul naturally desires and yearns to separate itself and depart from the body and to unite with its origin and source in Hashem, blessed be he, who is the fountainhead of all life. The soul, whose very essence is life, is thus especially drawn to Hashem, the source of all life, and desires to sever its connection with the body, which hinders its ability to become one with Hashem. So the, the, the wick is like the body holding the soul down and the soul is like the flame constantly trying to escape. It wants to go to its source. The, it is life, but the source of all life is Hashem and the soul is trying to escape the body on a constant level. And and go to Hashem. In fact, the Zohar speaks about this about this verse that near Hashem nishmas Adam, and says that when a Jewish person studies Torah, and the Kuzari says, and even when they daven too, you notice something very interesting. Ever walk into a library and see the people there studying? You don't see them doing this. (laughs) Ever walk into a base medrash? a Jewish study hall the students are all shuckling we call it shuckling and Yiddish means shaking they're going back and forth the Zohar explains this phenomenon it says that their, their soul has gotten excited and the flame is flickering and so then they're swaying back and forth this is the nature of the Neshama it's crazy you see it you actually see it you walk into a shul you walk into a Jewish study hall and you see people doing that I don't think I ever saw somebody do that in the library they don't do that <laughs> who does that? Christ. who does that? it's not it's the nature of the soul to go like this no, it's, it's like, it's a reflex. It's the soul doing that. The soul is getting excited and they're going like this. You see little, it's cra- you see crazy. You walk into a Jewish school, into like a six-year-old classroom. The kids are praying and they're going like this. It's just a natural thing. Nobody taught them to do this. They might have seen somebody do it. They're just doing it, though. They're just do. Just think of yourself when you go like this sometimes. Sometimes you do like this. Yeah, you just naturally start going like this. Like, you know, like my little baby when she's copying us praying. She's walking around with Sidur and she's going like this. You know? Uh (laughs) It's the cutest thing. She gets it. That praying is like there's something swaying going on. The Zohar speaks about this as the soul getting excited and flickering. Now this, this desire of the soul is very strange Though thereby it would become null and not And its identity would be there in its source Completely nullified with nothing at all Remaining of its original essence and self It wants to like self-annihilate And nothing is going to remain of it Now there's, if you look carefully at the words of how the Alta Rabba describes the nature of the flame and how he describes the nature of the soul, there's difference because when he says the the flame wants to escape, it says he says that nothing it will be completely lost in its source, its identity will be lost within that of its source. When it speaks about the soul, it doesn't stay like that. It says it will be completely nullified with nothing at all remaining of its original essence and self. It's not going to totally lose, it's going to be. Losing its identity But its identity is going to be, remain It's just that its unique identity As it is now is not going to remain The soul will never be completely lost But the identity as we know As it knows its own self Its unique essence How it feels itself That will be utterly lost And that's very strange Nobody wants to just self-annihilate Yeah this is its will and desire by its nature Oh, here it speaks about it. Note the expression, "When with nothing at all remaining of its original self, unity with its source would not cause the soul to cease to exist. On the contrary, this is the soul's true quintessence. However, in this state, the soul ceases to exist as it exists while clothed in the body, a distinct entity with its own intellectual and emotional powers, and so on. Therefore, it cannot be postulated that the soul's yearning to unite with its essence merely represents a desire for self-elevation, for self-elevation is possible only when the original self remains. For example, a person may well strive to better himself. Hi, welcome. To become wiser, to become stronger, etc. But he cannot strive to become something which is not himself, meaning an angel. If you're a little bit smart, you might want to be a genius. If you're uh, somewhat of a good cook, you might want to become amazing chef. But you don't want to switch forms of existence. Even though an angel is, I'm not gonna say better, but is more, has a more spiritual existence than a human being, people don't desire to be an angel. It's, it's meaning to switch our existence into something else. Nobody wants to switch existences. You want to become a much better form of what you are now. You don't want to completely switch existences. And this is what would happen to the soul if it would self annihilate. Yes, essentially it would still remain, but it's not going to have its safe intellect and its emotions, it's going to switch forms of existence. And this is something very strange. The term nature is usually, is usually used Derogatorily, in the sense that it denotes irrationality, phenomena lacking, lacking any ra- rational basis are usually described as nature. In our case, however, the term is used complementarily, as it ex- describes the soul's supra rational desire. This is now what the Algebra goes on to say. So the Algebra is now going to define the term nature. We use the na- word nature all the time. What does nature mean? Nature is an applied term for anything that is not in the realm of reason and comprehension. What is nature? Nature is something that just, that's the way it is and we don't understand why. It describes the what, but it doesn't describe the why. Even in science, you're gonna look at things and you'll see the what of things, how it's made up, how things work together. But the why of things, We don't know, and that's just its nature. We we describe people as having like a certain nature. This one has a certain inborn temperament, or even the different things that we look at in the world. This is the nature of it. What is nature? Nature is something that's deeply embedded. The word teva has other forms, like for example, a ring, matbea, I mean a, a tabaat, is a ring. A ring was used also as a, a signet ring to stamp something. It's something that's deeply ingrained within the ring. Or a matbeah, a coin, is something that's minted. It's something that's deeply ingrained in it. Nature is something that's just deeply a part of us without uh, understanding why. We don't understand why. It defies logic. But just this is how it is. That's a description of Chachma. But nature is the description of Chachma? No. The, the one that you say is uh, we say what, but we don't know What? So, so I'll agree with you 100% that Chachma is, as we, like we learned, it's wa. What is it? I don't know. But here we're using the same terms, but just to define something different. When we say nature, we're saying we see what it is, we see what it is, but we don't know why. And okay, and this is the na- we're, so we're saying this is the nature of the candle. We see what it is. It tries to escape. It wants to become part of the it's the universal element of fire. It's going to self annihilate. It makes no sense. But this is its nature. What's nature? Something that we don't understand. It defies logic. And the same thing with the soul. It wants to escape the body. It wants to become part of its source. The soul, the divine soul that we have, tries constantly to escape and become one with its source and Hashem. And when it would do that, it would lose its unique identity. It would not have its regular intellectual and emotional faculties the way it does now as in a body. Why would it want to do it? It doesn't make sense. You want to become bigger, you want to become greater, more of what you are. You want to improve yourself, you want to become the biggest and the best of what you are now. But to change existences and leave existence as you know it? Who wants to do that? Change forms? Nobody wants to. And yet, this is the, the nature of the soul. And nature means something that we don't understand. It's, that's what it is. We know what it is, but we don't know the why. It defies logic, and the Jewish soul is very unique. In fact, in the preface to the bilingual edition of the Tanya, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, our Rebbe, writes an introduction to explain like what Tanya is, what Chassidus is. what just very brief, a few brief paragraphs, and one of the things he writes there in like a line, is that the perp, a, per, a Jewish person is a creature of both heaven and earth. This is the heaven in us, the divine soul, and the purpose of the Jew, the point of the Jew in this world is to link heaven and earth so this is our link connection this is how we have a divine soul, totally nothing that's, that's right it takes this we're in a but we're in a physical body you know what a match for heaven's sake, you know this divine soul, so spiritual, so just wanting to be removed from everything, is now coupled with this body and it seems like why? That's what the soul's wondering. <laughs> constantly trying to escape. <laughs> but the answer is really so that we bring holiness into this world. That's our mission. Our mission is of holiness. To be living in a physical body and not escape the physical body as much as we would like to, but to bring holiness within physicality. Is that Jacob's ladder? Mm. Mm. Is that Jacob's You're saying he saw the, the angels going up and down. He is the link between heaven and earth. And that he became Israel, and he and became. We need to bring that link. I mean, connect heaven and earth. That's our job: is to connect heaven and earth. And we're we given a part of heaven, so and we're getting of heaven. Yeah, oh. it could be, it could be. Generally, Jacob's ladder is, is um, described as prayer, our reaching heaven words, but it's that's that idea. It's that idea. Okay. Here, too, with regard to the soul's desire to unite with its source, the inference of the word nature is that the soul's will and desire is not based on reason, knowledge, and intelligence that can be understood, but rather it is beyond the grasp and comprehension of rational intelligence. For this nature is the soul's faculty of Chachmah, and as discussed in the previous chapter, chachma is a faculty that transcends comprehension, like you said, Roya. A faculty wherein the light of the blessed Sof abides, and as a result, the soul is drawn to its source, the Sof, with a longing beyond comprehension. Thus we see that the nature of the hidden love, its quest, the long, is the longing of the soul to be united with its source. The Alter Rebbe now goes on to explain the designation of hidden love, because we were saying, what's the unique property of this love? This love is unlike any other. This love wants to self-annihilate. It wants to escape. It wants to just leave existence as it is. And even though it makes no sense at all, this is due to the unique nature of the soul. And that is because the soul has within it Chachma Avatilis, where the light of the Sof shines. So now we see that the divine light shines in Chachma Avatilis. That's the first point. But then it shines within the divine soul. Every single Jewish person has a divine soul, no matter how great and how lo- or how lowly. But it's not just within the divine soul that Chachma Avotzilas shines. The Alter is now going to, on to explain what is the term holiness. We use the term holiness a lot, and it's become part of jargon. People like to say, you know, the sanctity of law, the sanctity of labor. All that stuff is meaningless. Sanctity has one definition. It's not up to our um, poetic license to define holiness to different things. Holiness has to meet certain criteria, and the author is going to lay out for us the principles, what is holiness? So even if you, we like to think we can create a holiness, let's find out what holiness really is. <laughs> uh, Kedusha. Oh. This, this, this is exactly it. We're going to define what is holiness, and, ho- the, and we're going to define also the term holy, Kedusha. What does Kedusha mean? Now, this is a general principle in the whole realm of holiness. Holiness, Kedusha, is only that which derives from Chachma called Kodesh Ha'alyon. Supernal holiness The word kodesh refers to chachma While kedusha refers to Any manifestation of holiness As derived from chachma As chachma represents nullification of self Before Hashem Only those matters that manifest this character Of chachma may be said to possess holiness Those matters in which this characteristic Is lacking lack holiness As well The altar continues continue speaking of chachma So the word Yeah let me, I'm going to say it in different words Okay, the word kadosh, in general, what does the word kadosh mean? If you look throughout the Torah when there's the word, this word kadosh, depending on where it comes from, it will be a definition in context, but the, con- the, the bottom line, uh, the de- common denominator in each instance is that it's something apart. Something that is aloof and apart designated. The only thing that is truly holy is Hashem. You think you speak of a holy person and you say they're holy because they're aloof and apart from the, the mundane matters of this world. That's true, they're holy. But utter holiness, true apartness only applies to Hashem. Hashem is the only one who is actually completely aloof and apart from everything. Now when we look at a holy person we say they're holy because they have chosen they have chosen to abstain from physical pleasures, they have chosen to take the high road that 's not what makes them holy that 's an outcome of their holiness, but that 's not the definition of their holiness true in order to reach a state of holiness you 're going to have to remove yourself from the pleasures of this world you 're going to have to if you 're always in this in this wallowing in pleasures of this world you've stuffed up your sensitivities and your sensibilities and you haven't made space to understand you know what holiness is but that's just level one getting out of that stuff is not what makes you holy it's an exp- afterwards a person who you know we, we see a holy person and we don't understand we can't even relate to you know what their priorities are and what goes into their mind i know i've said this analogy before but it's it really proves the point about the uh the cow. So, the cow in the olden days, you know, everybody had a cow or a lot of people, you needed it for milk. So, every Saturday night, the lady of the house would wash the chalent pot. Now, they didn't have sinks in the olden days, right? So, they drew water from the well and they scrubbed the chalent pot with the water to throw out all that water. She didn't want to do it. So, what did she do? She used to feed it to the cow on Sunday and all week long, the cow looked forward to chalent water. (laughs) Now one week, she was so tired, I guess it was a summer Shabbos, Shabbos ended late. She finished washing the pot and she just dumped the water out. Sunday comes and cow is waiting for chalent water, but chalent water doesn't come. Okay, maybe tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday. By the time it's Wednesday, the cow has given up on chalent water. It's like, what happened to my chalent water? I know. This week the lady couldn't resist, and she drank the chalant water. (laughs) (laughs) Is chalant water delicious to the lady of the house? Absolutely not. It's disgusting. So the same thing, you know. We look at like holy people who who are not interested in the pleasures of the world, and we think that they, for for the most part, all they're doing is resisting. They see the sushi and they're saying, "Want to have it, but it's not on my diet. I'll just give it to the cow." not it. They don't they don't even care for it. But the reason why they don't care for it, that's not what makes what makes them holy is not that they don't care for sushi. Because they're holy they don't care for the sushi. They're on a whole different plane. So yes, seeing somebody who's divorced from the pleasures of the world may be a good indication that they are holy, but that's not what makes them holy. What makes somebody holy is that they're connected to Hashem, who is holiness, who is utter holiness. Now, when we talk about Chachma as of the Chachma Vatilas being called Kodesh HaAlion, supernal holiness. We're not using, we're not saying supernal holy as in the adjective. You know, we say this is a holy item. We are describing the item. When it comes to Chachma Vatilas, we're not describing it. We are saying. It is holiness. It itself is the state of being holy. And anything that is holy draws from Chachma of Atzilas. Why is it that anything that is holy draws from Chachma of Atzilas? Because, like we define Chachma as having absolutely no sense of self. What characterizes Chachma that is utterly in tune with the truth that all existence really is Hashem. There is nothing else besides Hashem. And we, we talked about Chachma being Koachma, the power of what, the potentially, potentiality of what. Like for example, when the Jewish people were complaining against Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron, and he said, he, expl- he, he expressed himself to the Jewish people and he said, "Vinachnu ma kisalinu aleinu And we, we are ma, what are we? That you should complain of us. And Rashi explained what does he mean when he says ma, vinachnu ma, what are we? He says, of what significance are we? We are of no significance. So chahma is the power of absolutely no self-significance. It doesn't hold anything of itself to be holy, it, I mean to be special. It doesn't have an identity for itself. It, doesn't ha- it is not self-absorbed or self-centered in any way. It has no sense of self. It is utterly in tune with the truth of Hashem. That's Chachmah, and because it's totally in, because of that, because of yes, chachma of Atzilut, Chach, exactly, chachma of al- Atzilut, and that's where all holiness generates from, thank you for the clarification, is completely empty of its own self-feeling, and therefore it's the perfect vessel for ein and therefore it itself is utter holiness. Okay, so continuing to explain what Chachmah is. It's very existence is nullified in the light of the blessed Ensof, which is clothed in it. And it is not a thing apart, as explained earlier. Therefore, this faculty is called which consists of the words Ma, the power of humility and abnegation. The word Ma, literally meaning what, denotes immateriality, as one might say when belittling himself. What am I? Thus, holiness refers to anything which, like chachma, draws down from God and nullifies itself before him. Now, um, just to illustrate the power of chachma and the Jewish soul, I want to tell a story that I heard. Um, Rabbi Nissen Mangel gave a lecture. He was a Holocaust survivor, a child in the Holocaust. He gave a lecture one year at the National Jewish Retreat, and it's recorded on Torah Cafe. And he speaks about how he was in seven different concentration camps. He literally, Hashem wanted him here. That's the reason why he, you know, he has all these crazy stories, crazy stories. He translated the Sidr, actually. Nissen Mengel, mean Nissen Mengel. He lives in New Jersey. Nissen Yeah, exactly. And he, he tells, yes, Baruch Hashem, for many more healthy, happy years. And he tells a story that one year in the barracks, he was in the barracks together with another, with 1,000 Jewish prisoners and somebody remembered that it was Pesach. So they said, tonight's Pesach, Mm -hmm. and what are they gonna do to celebrate Pesach? Remember, these people were woken up at five o'clock in the morning, entire day of back-breaking, grueling, demeaning, death-invoking labor, terrible, terrible, the craziest atrocities atrocities committed, whatever, we don't have to describe. And they decided, whoever knows something of the Haggadah, they will say it out loud and everybody else will repeat after them. He was only ten, but he did the Tana, and everybody repeated after him. He also did the halal and everybody repeated after him. And the, everybody was sitting up in their beds, citing the Haggadah, and all of a sudden an SS guard walks in. Now they didn't have any mercy at all, they, it was nothing to them to just go. He said it was, it's, it's harder for him to kill a mosquito than it was for these SS guards to shoot. And he said, you guys lie back down. I hear you again, I'm coming back in here, I'm shooting. So they all lie back down. The second the guy walked out of the room, everybody sat up in their beds again, and they continued. And the guy walked in again, and he started screaming, did you hear what I said? I said, next time I'm gonna shoot. And they all lay back down, he walks out. Every single guy is back up again, doing the Haggadah. He walked in a third time, he looked around, and he walked right out, it was literally a miracle. But he said, looking back at that story, in the barracks with him were many Jewish people who were never observant at all. They, before the war, they considered themselves to be completely secular. And besides the fact <coughs> that they were all participating in the recitation of the Haggadah, one of the greatest phenomenons was that nobody complained and said, hey, we're not interested in Haggadah. You're putting us all in danger. Stop it. Nobody protested. To them, it was like a given, we're all doing Haggadah together. No matter what their previous affiliation is, no matter how strongly before they identified with Judaism, at these moments where they were just down to really bare bones and the sense of soul, where they were living with soul, they were all the same in their quest to become close to Hashem. Just absolutely incredible. It gave them life. It it gave them life, connecting with Hashem. Okay, um, I'm... I'll start the next subject and I want to tell you the next subject is it's going to be, we're going to discuss it. So any question, we're, the only way out is through. Our policy at class over here is we never brush over the subject. We always give it a full treatment. If we have questions about it, we're going to discuss, we're going to analyze. We're not going to shove issues to the side or, or try to be uh, politically correct. We're going to um, analyze it as it is and seek to get to the truth as much as we can just discussed the first question, what's the source? So w- we just discussed the question about, uh, no not the source, because the source is, <coughs> is Chafmah, we discussed what does this love seek to attain? what's the unique defining property of this love. And th- thank you because I su- should summarize right now. We discussed, w- one of the things we were trying to figure out about this love is what does this love seek to gain. It's nothing for itself, what this love seeks is actually to self annihilate, to escape the body, and totally become one with its source, the source of all life, that is Hashem. So this is the unique property of this love. It's an inheritance to us from our forefathers. The source is in the soul power of Chachmah, which is the power for total humility and self-abnegation. And what this love seeks is in line with its sole source, and that is self-abnegation. It seeks to be not. It seeks to just lose its identity. Okay, so now we, we were discussing Holiness as it pertains to the Jewish soul And then we described holiness in general It's not just holiness in the Jewish soul Holiness is anything that derives from Chachma Chachma being Kodesh Ha'alyon, supernal holiness Which is nothing of itself It totally just makes space in order to let the divine light in And anything that is holy derives from Chachma And that is in contrast to the other side Which we're going to see And uh, there's a story of the Chidushi Harim Rabbi Yitzhak Meir of Ger, the Hasidic Master, and he once said to his Hasidim, tell me, where is Hashem? Where is God? They i thinking, what a question. Hashem is everywhere. And the, he said, no, Hashem is, of course Hashem is everywhere, but Hashem is wherever you let him in. Mm-hmm. So true, yeah, Hashem yeah. is everywhere, but where is Hashem sensed? Hashem is sensed wherever you make space for him, where you get your own self out of the picture, you make space, that's where Hashem is. Yeah, Ida? And the, the two sons of Mm -hmm. Didn't they attempt to rise to that level and they were not, they put in what they call an an illegal fire? Right. And thus it, um, Shem came down and uh, killed them. So in a sense, we're always in this this push and pull, this dichotomy. Exactly. We want to go up and yet we can't. I mean we're just material human bodies. On the other hand, we still have a piece of this, intangible, so it's a constant um, struggle. It's a constant tension of push and tension. pull. Yep. So so what I'll do now, because I will address that issue, so we're going to end class as is, and we're going to now go into questions. And Ida uh, said this about this push and pull, and Hasidus talks about that a lot, mm-hmm. and the terminology is taken from um, the Navi, where it talks about the angels, that says that the holy angels were running Ratzo vashuv, back and forth, uh, back and forth and that typifies our existence because on one hand we want to escape our existence but then when we get to that point where we want to unite with Hashem we realize that Hashem wants us to make an abode for him down here and because we want him to be happy that's why we come back down so it's constantly the tension of I want to escape I want to be close to Hashem but then we say well what does Hashem want from me Hashem wants me to be down here so it's that constant push and pull of wanting to escape but because we love Hashem so much we don't escape, we stay here we, our soul would like to escape and then we say one second but Hashem wants me to create a material world where He is felt here and so we, we to serve Hashem we stay down here so that even though it was holy what they were doing it's special but it was actually a sin. Bye Whitney thanks for coming any other questions? Yes The push and pull, Uh uh, does that also include, and also to touch on the subject of our nature or our base nature, Mm -hmm. and the push and pull between good and good inclination and bad inclination, is that part of this? So that's not what we're talking about right here. We're talking about how the soul itself has its own push and pull of wanting to exist, and then... Wanting to leave existence, and I'm realizing that in order to serve God, it needs to continue to exist. But it wants to melt. But it, right, right.